Welcome into another edition of the Hops and Spirits Podcast, and it's a special edition because we're talking the Kentucky Derby because it's just uh, around the corner here. And uh, if you live in Kentucky or grew up uh, a horse racing fan like I did, uh, this is a special time of year when they run for the roses. And we'll be uh, doing a little bit of uh, everything uh, on this episode. We'll be talking to Peggy No Stevens, Susan Riegler about how to plan a derby party or just a bourbon tasting. And we'll also be talking to Michael Toscano uh, about making some uh, drinks for your derby party, including, of course, a mint julep. And he has a special twist as well. Like I said, it's a fun episode, a lot going on. Also, don't forget to check out our social media pages at Hop Spirits, all one word, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok now, uh, where you can check out our cool giveaways. We've got one going on now, depending on uh, when you're listening to this. And if uh, if you uh, check out our social media pages and our April giveaways over, don't worry. We'll have another one for you in May. And don't forget to check out our Give It a Try 60-second highlights. Uh, we just did Crown Royal Cocktails. We've done Puncher's Chance Bourbon. So much more. You can find those on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and our YouTube page. Just check the link in any of our social media bios. But this week, uh, like I said, we're talking Derby, the run for the roses. And we started off with none other than Peggy No Stevens and Susan Riegler. Peggy No Stevens is founder of the Bourbon Women Association, a master bourbon taster. She's also president of Peggy No Stevens and Associates, an experiential marketing company. And guess what? She's also a Bourbon Hall of Fame inductee, has planned hundreds of events globally over the last 30 years, uh, working with distilleries and master distillers. Peggy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. And we also have Susan Riegler. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. All right. She is a former restaurant critic for the Louisville Courier-Journal and is a current correspondent for Bourbon Plus and American Whiskey Magazine. She's also authored or co-authored eight different books on bourbon. And one of those books is what we're here to talk about today with these two. Uh, Susan, welcome in. Thanks so much. Now, the book that we're here to talk about is, I love the title, uh, Which Fork Do I Use With My Bourbon? Uh, Before I get to my one tough question, how did you guys come up with that name? Because that seems uh, very uh, interesting. It was sort of an accident, really. We we were uh, we were driving to uh, to Nashville for a bourbon event. <clears throat> Excuse me, and we'd been trying to come up with a, a name for the book, something that would be uh, catchy that people would really pay attention to. And Peggy had done an article for a, a whiskey magazine. Was it American Whiskey, Peggy? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And she called it, what fork do I use with my bourbon? Well, I said, wait a minute, why don't we use, which fork do we do I use with my bourbon for our book? I mean, the book was practically written by that time. Thought, oh yeah, okay, let's, let's just go with that one. And um, <laughs> people really have responded to it uh, with, with, you know, giggles. It's been great. And, and the whole play on words that we were trying to accomplish is, I'm actually a certified etiquette and protocol consultant, right? <laughs> and so I always have people ask me, you know, well, which fork do I use at the dinner table? Which fork do I use at a banquet? Is that your water glass? So we wanted to make bourbon very approachable, very friendly. So it's kind of our tongue-in-cheek way of saying, you know, there really isn't an etiquette necessarily when you drink your bourbon. We just want to share with you some of our tricks of the trade. And, and, and that you do in this book, and we'll touch on that here in, in a little bit more. Uh, I always like to start these off with one tough question. Sometimes I'm better at that than others because I get a little sidetracked and uh, uh, we get to it later. But my one tough question for you all is, 
if you weren't allowed to drink bourbon or whiskey anymore, what would your go-to drink be? Oh, or whiskey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, because I figure, you know, a bourbon, you know, a lot of people, you know, so if I'm going to, I added that in there just to, just to see what, what would happen. <laughs> Thanks, Susan. Well, mine would be a very, very icy, dry, dry martini, gin martini, up with a twist. Probably That's old so Raj funny. gin, which is yeah. infused with saffron. I'd have to say a vodka martini. There you go. Very, very classy for me. Preferably um, three olives up. <laughs> For for me, I, I I think you'd also have to throw in if I couldn't drink craft beer too, because this is a hops and spirits podcast. So, because uh, if I have the option of, of craft beer, I, I would go with that. But if not, um, you know, I I enjoy um, uh, a a gin and just any kind of gin drink. Um, uh, for some reason, that's just been a a delight for me as I've I've delved down this path of the podcast. So, uh, for me, it'd probably be gin is where I would transition to. Uh, although tequila is pretty plentiful in this house and a margarita might not be bad on a, on a warm day either. <laughs> um, now the book, which fork do I use uh, with my bourbon? I got to look at, at, at a, the version, you know, got to read it a little bit before our interview. Uh, what started the idea for this book? I mean, I'm, was it something as simple as you guys just constantly being asked, how do you throw a tasting or how do you throw a party? Cause I mean, this book goes through, I mean, it is impressive what all you have in it, but how, how did it get started? That's exactly I, I, I have to say, this book I actually started probably, what, Susan, eight years ago or oh, so? Oh, yes. And, yes. you know, my, my whole career has been in spirits and hospitality and entertaining and events. And, you know, I always wanted to try to figure out a way to share the wisdom and I wrote a couple chapters, and as life has it, life got busy with my company and Bourbon Women, so I put it aside. And then many moons later, decided, you know, I really want to get this book done because I think the consumer is so curious on how to conduct tasting. So I tapped Susan, and of course, she, you know, I've written three books. I'm a baby. You know, she's written eight <laughs> or so. And so I said, hey, why don't we put our knowledge together? Because she and I are both whiskey reviewers for American Whiskey Magazine. And we shared, and she was the former president of Bourbon Women. So, you know, we just really um, have such a respect for each other. And she said, sure, I'll help you do it. And we'll write it together. And so we kind of divvied up, didn't we, Susan? Kind of divvied up the chapters. Yeah, we would each write a chapter and swap it with the other. Uh, go over it, make suggestions, and the back. And um, it was actually a, a fairly smooth process, as you can tell, because we're still speaking to each other. So, <laughs> yeah. And you know what was interesting? Because of the last two books I wrote, you know, I had to do research and, you know, all of these different things. This one was different for me in the fact that, do you agree, Susan? It was really kind of all in our head, you know, it based was. on experience. So I'm kind of glad we waited. Right. You we know, just to, needed to, to figure write. out in which order to present it. So we made the outline of the chapters and then we got to it. And we, there was really no question. It was almost more a matter of what do we leave out rather than what do we put in? <laughs> well, I was going to say you guys put in a, a lot of different things. I mean, you guys break down everything um, through, throughout. I, I mean, was it hard to come up with some of that stuff? I mean, at least to make it on paper, because obviously when you have it up here, it's one thing, but to actually put it on 
on paper. I mean, you guys have charts, graphics, um, templates that, that folks can use. Uh, I'm guessing most of that was stuff either you used or had seen used in, in other things, right? Well, I think it really was. For me, anyway, I, I conduct seminars, you know, at whiskey conferences and, you know, to high-end corporate groups. And we're constantly, as long as Susan, teaching, uh, essentially, you know, on spirits. And so I think that the collection that you see are things that we've used as tools. And then when, and Susan, of course, has a teaching background as well. So I think when we stumbled across something like, gosh, this can't be just copy. We have to show them or make a chart. Um, Susan was the queen of that. Well, we really wanted to make it visually compelling as well as a, a book that was easy and understandable to read and useful. You know, it's, it's mm. supposed to be used. Well, I, I really enjoyed the, the foreword uh, there by Fred Minnick, who, who mo most that if they're listening to this podcast should, should know of him as well. Um, I enjoyed his little antidote of, you know, him and a buddy, uh, you know, getting together to taste bourbon. They tasted it, and then they didn't know what in the world else to do afterwards, you know, and they just kind of ordered some takeout. Uh, you guys don't do that. You guys have a very specific way of, of presenting things. We Thank really you. want to dissect the different layers of flavors in whiskey and really help people understand um, what they're tasting, you know, to use their, their taste memories and to use their their taste muscles, if you will. And I think people don't realize how complex bourbon truly is when you start to dissect those flavors and some of the components that are pretty traditional versus components that are really the art of the master distiller. And, and two, this is a book that, you know, for someone like me who's maybe more on the novice end, uh, even though I talk about this every, every week, uh, compared to, to others, you know, like yourselves or even the Fred Minnicks of, of the world, uh, that no matter who you are, you can find something in this book that can be helpful when you're planning a party because you can cater it to those that are uh, a little more uh, educated and nuanced in it or those that are just maybe enjoying bourbon for maybe the first or, you know, they're, they're a, uh, a casual drinker when they go to someone's house that has, has a good selection. Well, we hope we uh, catered to the beginner and the geek, you know, the, somebody who is really into it and would be able to take a much deeper dive or somebody who's just starting out and wants to know the basics. And then uh, you guys, in addition to kind of doing the step-by-step -step of how to throw, throw a party, you also uh, provide a variety of recipes for food from entrees and desserts to even recipes for cocktails and so forth. Was that something that you all have, were those your recipes or just recipes that you were able to uh, kind of get from others? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing this was a collective approach. Um, I have to say, this is definitely not a cookbook, right? Because we give so many entertaining tips and how to taste and advanced food pairings and all of that. But Susan and I have our favorites. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And so we are simply sharing some of the better recipes that we've come across, whether it's cooking with bourbon, you know, and adding bourbon to your dish or a particular cocktail that we found absolutely delicious that we thought, oh, this is really different to make in your home. So I have to say we were pretty selfish and, and put in the book some of our favorites. Right, Susan? Absolutely. Yeah, I have a, a couple of recipes that I made up that got into the book. 
And then we also had some recipes from some of the distilleries because they now have restaurants and they do entertaining. So we use some of those as well. And then, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, pairing foods and drinks, how important is that to kind of get the right pairings so people actually really get to enjoy, um, you know, what, what they're tasting? And, and when even just not just food and, you know, pairing foods and drinks, you know, I've read a, uh, one of the excerpts of you got to be even careful of what you might have as ambiance, you know, whether that's flowers or different things and how close you have that to maybe where you're tasting things and so forth. So how important does, you know, not just the pairing of foods and drinks, but also what might be around you? as well go into throwing something um, like a, a derby party or a bourbon tasting. Well, I know in, in bourbon women events, we very specifically say, please do not wear perfume to our event because uh, that, that can interfere with the tasting. In fact, back now, in if the, you have, oh, I'm right, sorry, Susan, go that's ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say in my restaurant critic days, I remember being brought um, the wine that I'd ordered and the server poured it and I'm getting ready to nose it and a woman's perfume at the next table came wafting over and I thought, I can't, I have no idea what this wine is. You know, this and is you terrible. Know, the, wow. same, the same applies to flowers, you know, floral right. arrangements that are incredibly fragrant or if you're burning scented candles, you know, right around the tasting area because it's a sensory experience. You know, and you have to have your olfactory senses open, your taste buds and palate open. And so we give some tips like that. But I think back to your food pairing question, too, it, it's really important for people to know that when you really dissect the flavors of a whiskey and you start to look at the food to pair with it, when you create a balance, it enhances the flavor. It actually brings it to life and it makes even a better uh, presentation to your guests and a better sensory experience to the palate. So, you know, it's about dialing up or dialing down, you know, the types of flavors that you want to use, you know, when you are pairing a particular whiskey with a particular food. And, you know, obviously we're getting close to the Derby. I'm not going to ask you guys uh, to, p to pick your winners or anything like that, give any tips that way. Uh, but, but I know one thing that you can give tips on is putting on a winning party um, so with the amount of experience that y'all have, what are some uh, good tips uh, for throwing the perfect derby party? Because um, you don't have to go wild and crazy, I'm, I'm certain, but you can still make it a very nice, elegant party that even we can do uh, at home with friends and family. Well, I'll let Susan handle the julep side of things, if you like. But, um, you know, particularly this year, you know, and last year, people were at home you know, having their derby party or plan to have their derby party. And so I always encourage to serve food that has what I call staying power, you know, that you can sit out on a buffet or a table, you know, and it can be there for hours on end, like country ham and biscuits, for example, you know, would be one. Um, because And different cheese spreads like pimento cheese and, and things of that nature, because people graze like the horses, essentially, all day between races. They'll gather around the television, then they'll go back to the buffet and get some food. So um, food-wise, you know, that that's my biggest trick is let it last. So you don't have to keep warming things up, you know, or put things in a small shaping dish or crock pot, like barbecue, you know, that's easy to serve and uh, readily available. You can also batch some cocktails. You wouldn't necessarily have to serve mint juleps, but of course you can. 
And if you're going to, make sure you have plenty of crushed ice on hand. Um, probably yeah. really good if you have one of those uh, great refrigerators where the ice maker will crush ice for you. And you know, I just did a, um, a mint julep demonstration yesterday, actually. And you know, people forget you can make your simple syrup a month in advance and just store it in your refrigerator. So I see people during a derby party sometimes like, you know, they run out, so they're boiling more with sugar and, you know, right in the middle of the party. And uh, really it's best if, if you make it a week or so prior to the party and let it sit in your fridge. You know, it gets a good texture to it. You might even drop a mint leaf in there just to give it a little bit of extra oomph. And then obviously if you're looking for decor and different things like that, uh, what, what would be some, some good tips on, on that side for a derby party? Because, I mean, this book goes through invitations to, uh, you know, arrangements on tables to everything. This is the complete guide. So I'm guessing you have a few tips and tricks on, on that as well. Go ahead, Susan, if you want to answer that. I was going to say I was um, in the little neighborhood grocery store where I shop uh, the other day. And, of course, they've already displayed all of their derby party uh, materials. So I thought, well, this is great. I'll get some cocktail, some horsey themed cocktail napkins. So I've got them on hand and I'm, I'm ready uh, when they're there. And, you know, it, when the time comes, I've, I've got my, my horse themed napkins and, you know, stock up on your julep cups, you know, the ones that uh, Churchill Downs puts out each year. Uh, a nice party favor to have your guests leave with as well as their own commemorative uh, julep cup. So you know, being from Louisville, I've been so fortunate to go to so many derbies. So I have, you see in the book, a lot of my derby glass collection, you know, over 25 years, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you can order those online, you know, through Churchill Downs. And so, you know, that's just a really fun thing to have. And it looks like you went to that extra effort to serve your juleps in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of and Louisville area liquor stores sell them by the case as well. So. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say, I mean, pretty, pretty much anywhere in Kentucky, uh, if you're at least in Kentucky or nearby, you should be able to get something horse themed uh, <laughs> for your derby party. Now, if you're out somewhere else, you might have to do a little more, more searching to find something that's a little more derby related. Uh, right. But, but uh, you know, also, you know, in addition to this book, I, I want to make sure I get to touch on, on your, your all's careers because um, it's pretty impressive what, what you all have, have been able to do. And, uh, who who would would like to go first? Would it would that be Peggy or Susan to, to talk about themselves? Peggy, go for it. <laughs> well, what would you like to know? Um, I have been in the industry for literally thirty years, whether it be hospitality or spirits. And uh, so, ask me a question that you like, because that's a, I could have a whole show myself. <laughs> in fact, my thirty years, if you will. Well, and that's I think what it, what is so impressive about both both of you is just your your careers that have spanned, and 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 it's weird to say this because nowadays you know women are being more in the forefront of the bourbon and whiskey worlds, but that hasn't always been the case. And for you, Peggy, obviously you're in the Bourbon Hall of Fame, um, Master Bourbon Taster, first Master Bur Bourbon Taster. That's a woman. I mean, you created the Bourbon Woman Association. Is there anything you didn't do <laughs> along the way? <laughs> yeah, I didn't ever do windows. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell my husband. Uh, but, you know, that's, I guess, the beauty of our industry is the industry allowed me to be innovative. 
you know, as years go by and innovations happen and we learn more and more about our consumers. And believe me, my company is experiential marketing. I've been up close and personal with consumers enjoying product and hearing what they say. So I have to credit the consumer more than anybody because I just listen to them. And, and that's where I think many of the things, whether it's food pairings, whether it is tasting classes or building a, an environment or a tour path for a consumer experience or even the bourbon trail. You know, I had a hand in creating the bourbon trail. You know, we just listen to what consumers want and then we respond in an innovative way. So that that's how I guess I would sum up my career. Well, and then, you know, you, you launched uh, the Bourbon Women Association. Can you talk a little bit about that? And obviously, Susan, you were a part of that and uh, past, past president, uh, I believe. So um, obviously, that's something important to both of y'all. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year in 2021. So we are very excited about that. And it's been a blink. And all we did, again, is we knew that women, not only across Kentucky, but across the U.S., have an affinity uh, for bourbon. It's just they weren't being recognized as the other target market. Uh, you know, the, we are the other half of the population. And so our mission was really to bring us to life and to show the distilleries that, hey, this is a vital, crucial market for you. You know, come educate, you know, come celebrate with women and they'll be loyal consumers. Um, and Susan, of course, had a huge hand for many, many years um, with the organization and leadership. So, Susan, do you want to talk to that? Well, I, I can. I think I want to backtrack just a little bit and say that uh, I started writing about bourbon before virtually anyone else was writing about bourbon. I was writing about it in the early 1990s when it was still, well, it was still. It was the dark ages. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, a while back. And. Very few people were paying attention to bourbon. In fact, I found it was very difficult to get a properly made old-fashioned in Louisville, in a Louisville bar. Uh, and of course, now the old-fashioned is the official cocktail of the city of Louisville. Um, and it always makes me very proud to know that I live in a city that has an official cocktail. I think that's pretty <laughs> sweet. But um, the interesting thing was I, I got to meet so many people in the industry as I was reporting on them. I got to interview Booker No around his oak kitchen table uh, and drink Booker's bourbon with him at 1030 in the morning. That was fabulous. Um, I got to meet uh, other people in the bourbon industry, all the master distillers. Uh, the tour guides were always just, this was just as uh, Woodford opened uh, mm -hmm. for their, their visitor experience. And um, I was the first reporter to write about Woodford Reserve Distillery for the, you know, not only for the Courier Journal, but for any other publication. So I had this great pleasure of kind of seeing bourbon coming back and being able to report on that and record that. Uh, I even eventually talked my editor into giving me a regular weekly drinks column. Uh, in which I did feature quite a few uh, bourbon cocktails or, or different new bourbon releases. So um, it, it's been just fascinating to see the evolution of the industry, all the, uh, the visitor experiences and now restaurants and hotels in the pipeline, places to stay when you go to the distilleries. And I think our members in Bourbon Women are very much into the experiences 
of coming to Kentucky and not only tasting, but also um, just becoming part of the culture. And that's part of what Peggy and I were trying to put between the covers of a book to give people the idea of what is this culture of bourbon and this bourbon lifestyle, if you will. And, and then also for you, you, Susan, I mean, in addition to you know writing for magazines, which I, I know both of you do a little bit, bit of as well, you've authored now or co-authored eight different books on bourbon from, you know, cookbooks to, to drink books and things. And, and then this book, uh, what, what's that process been like? Cause I'm sure that you're touching on your experience of, of now, you know, 30, 30 odd years or so of, of writing about whiskey mm-hmm. and bourbon. Well, well, the first bourbon book I did was uh, with Joy Perini, uh, who was also a Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame member. Uh, she was the bar manager at a local restaurant here in Louisville. And I came across her extraordinary bourbon cocktails when she was winning contests with her bourbon cocktails. And not that many people were making bourbon cocktails outside of the traditional ones like the Manhattan and the old fashioned. And when I was just about ready to leave the Courier Journal, I told her, I said, you know, um, Joy, you really ought to have a recipe book of your bourbon cocktails because they are so creative and so innovative. And she said, well, yeah, but I don't have time to write. I said, give me your recipes and I will arrange them into a book. And that was the start of that. And then uh, I mentioned to the publisher of that book that, you know, um, a lot more people are interested now in coming to Kentucky and touring the distilleries. This was early 2000s. And that's how I wrote the Bourbon Country Travel Guide, which is um, now in its third edition. So it keeps, and it's going to have to have a fourth edition because (laughs) between the time of my turning in the manuscript and its publication, several more distillery attractions have have arrived. So uh, that's that's kind of what happens. And you just, um, it's kind of like, you know, I, I guess I don't really think about the process so much because I am a writer, and so mm-hmm. I just organize the material and write it down, and I leave all the design to other people who know what they're doing, <laughs> make it look pretty. Well, I was—I mean, for for both of you, it, it has to be wild too to just think of how far, especially. I mean, you know, people see the bourbon industry now in Kentucky, and you know, they see all these places expanding and, and so forth. But you know, you touch on Woodford there. And I love talking to, to Chris over there and, and him telling me the story of when he first walked out to the property there, uh, when the idea had come, you know, there were cattle and so forth roaming where, where things were because it, you know, it had been turned back into a farm, farming operation and, you know, before they, they took it back over. I mean, how, how crazy is it to look back and see this industry change so much um, in just a couple decades to now what it is and, you know, having the experiences in the bourbon trail and, and restaurants and, and and bars that are are almost even part of the the journey too. Absolutely, I think we have had a major evolution and almost renaissance because back in the eighties, you know, bourbon had kind of lost its edge, you know, and Scotch was really just so strong um, of a market and thought of as premium and. So I think back to the Woodford days, and I actually, that's where Susan and I met, because uh, I was the director at Woodford Reserve uh, for several years, and Susan was the uh, food critic and whiskey writer for Courier, and um, that's really how we met. But, you know, fast forward, I think because of that investment and in infrastructure that many distilleries did, 
you know, to create a better experience for consumers really set the tone and the pace. Um, things like, you know, retro cocktails, you know, like the Manhattan, like the old fashioned pop culture of Mad Men, you know, mm-hmm. drinking bourbon on the rocks. Uh, all of these things kind of were the perfect storm uh, to launch a new trajectory of success. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, before I, I let you both go, what, what, what are each of you up to, to nowadays? You guys have anything uh, working on in the future that, you, that you've got? Or for Peggy, is that just uh, your company and, and more events and Susan more teaching and writing? Or, or what do you all have coming down the pipe that you can, can tell us about? Well, well something that started, oh, I'm sorry, Susan. No, something no. that started during the shutdown that I never in a million years thought I would continue doing after things opened up were virtual bourbon tasting and virtual experiences. So I have to say that was a big learning curve, but one that turned out really well for me. Uh, So I think I'll be doing a hybrid. Uh, Susan and I are actually leaving for Atlanta this week uh, for a a very small, intimate event uh, that we're hosting or helping host. And so things are opening back up. So I think that, you know, we'll get our pace again to do our events. I'm working on, I think, four or five distillery projects right now. Uh, within my company and Bourbon Women's, you know, 10th anniversary celebration. Uh, if you want to join, for example, go to bourbonwomen.org because we're having an annual symposium that we've done for over seven years, August 27th through the 29th in Louisville, Kentucky. And, you know, that is going to be a big deal. So we are working hard on that right now. Right. Yeah. And I, I also have been doing a lot of virtual bourbon tastings for people, including, um, you know, as far away as all over the U.S. And I even did one for some friends in Scotland, of all places. They wanted to have a bourbon tasting. So I figured out which bourbons they would have available to them. And we did a virtual tasting of of bourbons for some people in Edinburgh. (laughs) What time was it, Susan? It was seven in the evening for them. It was two in the afternoon for me. Oh, that's not bad. No, it wasn't bad. I was going to say that that's got to be something that that's really cool. If anything that came out of out of you know what what's happened in the world is the you know the borders have shrunk so to speak in the bourbon world, and you don't have to go place they don't have to come to Kentucky to check it out so or, or so to speak, and you know we don't have to maybe go as far the way I know talking to a few of the master distillers they've you know had like you you did Susan with overseas folks in Europe or Australia or wherever you know they've been able to. Uh, coordinate um, virtual tastings and I, I find that amazing what technology can do at times it's been a boon and then last but not least where can people find uh, which fork do I use with my bourbon just about any online platform that sells books you know you know what they are uh, also the University Press of Kentucky's website will uh, certainly sells sells the book um, a lot of Kentucky bookstores. If you happen to be here, you can, you can find it. So um, Barnes and Noble, I believe, is still carrying it. Yep. Um, and I have it. Actually, I'm selling it on my website, PeggyNoStevens.com. If you just click on the store, you'll find it there as well. Um, and I want to say BourbonWomen.org is hosting it as well. Awesome, awesome. Well, folks, if you if you can. I highly recommend checking out the book. Like I said, I was able to to peruse it real quick, and uh, the the amount of information 
that is in it is is great and can be used no matter as as Susan said from beginners to geek, um, and and you can use it in a plethora of ways from hosting different events, parties, tastings. Uh, it's which fork do I use with my bourbon with authors Peggy No Stevens and Susan Riegler. Uh, Peggy Susan, thank you so much for taking time uh, to to talk to me about the book and and just a little bit on, on your amazing careers. Thank you, Jonathan. Happy to be here. Cheers. As we continue our Derby edition uh, going, we have a very special guest joining us or back with us for a second time is Michael Toscano, New York City Ambassador for Woodford Reserve. Michael, welcome back. Thank you for having me back, my friend. It is a, it's a privilege to be back, and uh, I'm excited to talk all things Kentucky Derby and Julep with you, a little bit of Woodford. Exactly. Now, for those that don't know, Woodford is now, I guess, almost synonymous with the Derby. They're a big presenter at the Derby, and with that comes cocktails, and that is what Michael is known for. Uh, you know, I mean, working as a bartender in New York City at Dante, uh, you know, just doing all sorts of fun things. And like I said, now he's an ambassador for Woodford. Uh, what, what's it like around this time of year? Because I'm guessing you get to do some some fun things. Yeah, it's uh, things are things are crazy, right? As as we open back up, just from the the, the pandemic, you know, we're, we're opening just in time for the Derby, right? So it's all about um, you know responsibly activating and, and engaging with with bartenders and consumers and, and really promoting the Derby. And uh, so right now we're we're kind of like the silence before the storm. I think next week we we will start going. I know the last week in April, um, I have events every single day. Um, it'll be quite the run. <laughs> quite the run run the finish right quite the finish to the yeah. to the run up to the derby for me for sure uh now with that uh what a lot of people think of when derbies and drinks is the mint julep and as we were talking beforehand it's got a wild kind of history that is kind of hard to pin down a little bit yeah i mean i think when you, when you look at cocktail lore in general the folklore of any drink there's always a little bit of uh, uncertainty onto exactly how it came to be and that probably has to do with the fact that we were all imbibing in those spirits and those cocktails when, it, when they were created so the memory is probably a little bit fuzzy um you know ultimately what we can we can look at um you know there's early mentions of the julep as far back as 1700s but realistically the mint julep uh, that cocktail uh, was created like a lot of cocktails as a way to administer medicine um, when medicine was not exactly, you know, Dimetap or, or in pill form. Um, so the idea was you'd have your medicine in, mixed in with spirits and, and sugar and a little bit of water. That crushed ice kind of helped made it easy uh, to ingest the medicine. Um, it started really on the East Coast, Virginia, you know, as the country was settled. Um, and then it moved its way to Kentucky. Uh, and in 1938, you know, bourbon was was still was a huge piece of Kentucky already. Um, so bourbon became the spirit of choice. And then it was introduced to the Kentucky Derby in 1938. Um, there is still quite a bit of uh, no one really knows exactly where the cup idea came from. Um, the one thing I did kind of see was that they were serving water in these types of julep cups and people were stealing the cups. Uh, and so they decided, well, we should put a drink in it. Um, and charge people since they're taking the cups anyway. And uh, and that's where the mint julep in the cup uh, came to be at the Kentucky Derby, which I think is is pretty great. I was going to say pure entrepreneurship, um, yeah. finding ways to make money <laughs> yeah. off of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, I, I feel like working in bars most of my life, you know, you, you, you know those people that, <laughs> that somehow take things from your bar without you noticing. So if we can charge you for it, you know, then you can absolutely have it. <laughs> uh, now, now with that being said the the mint julep there's some variations of it 
and we'll talk about a, a spin that you did for this year's Derby uh, with, with some cool things. Uh, but first, for those that just want to make a classic mint julep, what do they need and how difficult is it? So it's really simple and you don't need a lot, which is great. So obviously you need Woodford Reserve, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. We are the presenting sponsor of the Kentucky Derby, so it's vital. We are the vital ingredient, I think, in any any derby, any uh, julep come Derby Day, but really anytime. Um, so you'll need two ounces of Woodford Reserve Bourbon. Uh, simple syrup, if you've got it, is great, which is just equal parts sugar and water. You can create that at home in a pot, right? Literally just take a cup of water and a cup of sugar, boil it. And you've got simple syrup or you could buy it at a grocery store uh, and then some fresh mint and then crushed ice so if you've got you know like a, a towel and a rolling pin you could literally put some ice in a towel you know roll it up and smash it with a rolling pin to get crushed ice um, it's also a great stress reliever as we all are still working through the <laughs> pandemic right so as a bartender that was always a nice thing too when somebody ordered a mint julep if you never crushed ice machine you had an excuse to get some aggression out so um anyway so you've got your julep cup um the way that i would do a mint julep is I would put my uh, half ounce of simple syrup. Uh, the nice part is you can play with that a little bit. If you want it to be a little bit sweeter, you can add a little bit more. If you want it to not be as sweet, you can always do a little bit less. But I do my syrup and then I would say, you know, eight to 10 fresh mint leaves. So pick them off of the actual stem. Um, and then you'll take that rolling pin or something like a, a muddler and you'll kind of press that mint into the syrup. And you don't want to push too hard. You don't want to bruise the mint, but you essentially like releasing the oil from the mint to kind of infuse with the simple syrup. I'll add an ounce and a half of my whiskey into the cup and then fill that cup about halfway up with ice. Take a spoon with that crushed ice, take a spoon, kind of swirl it around. You want to see the frost kind of form on the outside of the julep cup. And then I'll cap it with ice. So you've got this nice little round mound coming off the top of the glass, right? We've all seen the pictures of that. Um, and then I'll actually put the other half ounce of bourbon over the top of the ice and then i'll garnish with the fresh sprig of mint because i want the mint and the bourbon the aromatics of both to play together on the top of the drink um, and so it's kind of a nice way to to have like a sensory experience too versus just putting all of the bourbon in at once um, it's a nice little trick um, that i learned bartending in indianapolis indiana before i moved to new york so obviously a lot of mint juleps around derby time and then you garnish with a big big bouquet of mint um, if you can give it like you can take it and like kind of smack it into the palm of your hand. You're once again kind of waking the oils up off of the mint leaves, which really helps make it really beautiful um, as far as the aromatic goes. Uh, and then tuck it into the side of the julep cup, uh, you know, a nice paper straw or metal straw and uh, enjoy a, a wonderful mint julep responsibly uh, on Derby Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Enjoy it responsibly. Uh, uh, but but I'll, I also like kind of the little tip there to get uh, a little bit more flavor uh, profile um, there that not everyone thinks of. Another thing uh, that I was talking to Susan and Peggy earlier in the episode is you can make your uh, your bitter or your syrup early, and that would be a smart thing to do, correct? Because uh, it can sit around for a little while, especially if you're going to have uh, some guests over and might be having a few of these responsibly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would definitely bring it. You know, I what I like to do is make about 32 ounces at a time, and then put it into like a container, and then put it in the freezer to let it cool down and then you can keep it in the fridge. And this is, you know, just another little piece. Syrup is really stable for about 30 days. So even if you, you know, you're gonna enjoy it as we head into the summertime, you know, you can make a large batch in, a, in, in one run and then you've got it forever. It takes literally about 10 minutes to make. So um, I always recommend making it versus buying it just from a cost perspective. Um, and I'll also 
you know, we're going to talk about another one, I think, here in a minute, and I can I can share why I like making it as well there. So. Uh, and I was going to say, and it's also good so you're not trying to be making a simple syrup while you have guests over, uh, so you can actually do the entertaining. Now, what you were kind of teasing there is, is, <laughs> is you guys also can do spins on the mint julep. And this year you have a very interesting spin, uh, from from what I can gather. Uh, I, I I'm kind of curious to see how this works, and and, and <laughs> would love to to see this in action. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, and it, it's um, you know, it's funny. I uh, I realized as I was explaining the mint julep, maybe it didn't sound so simple, and I'm sorry for that because like <laughs> talking about all these different pours and talking like a bartender, but I promise it's really easy. Um, but the, this, this new drink that, or not new drink, but this reimagination of a julep that we kind of came up with this year really does, um, harken back to my time behind the bar at Dante, uh, which is this really great, you know, cafe bar, uh, here in New York that centers around the Italian drinking culture and they pair teeth hour. And, uh, there's an espresso style cocktail called an affogato, uh, and affogato is Italian for, it actually just means drowned. And the idea is you take a scoop of vanilla ice cream or gelato, and then you take hot espresso, an ounce of hot espresso, and you pour it over the top, and then it melts into the ice cream, and then you eat it, you know, and have your espresso and a little bit of dessert with it. And so that was kind of the idea behind this idea of a, we, I called it a Kentucky affogato. Uh, and it is taking a scoop of vanilla bean ice cream, really nice, rich vanilla ice cream, um, and then putting it into like a coupe, like a stem glass, you know, like a Manhattan would be served in, uh, with an ounce and a half of wood for reserve bourbon. And then that simple syrup we talked about earlier, when you create the simple syrup, you can add, you know, 12 mint leaves or whatever you want, as minty as you want to make it to that sugar and water when you bring it to a boil. And then once it gets to a boil, simmer it for about 10 minutes and then strain the mint out and you've created mint syrup. So now you have a mint simple syrup. So it has all those mint flavors in there. You don't have to muddle anything. It's not anything extra. And then you take that hot syrup, about half an ounce of it if you want, maybe three quarters of an ounce, and you pour it over the top of the ice cream, and it melts the ice cream and the syrup into the bourbon, and you've got this really beautiful, um, you know, julep affogato that you can then garnish with some fresh mint, maybe some shaved dark chocolate over the top, um, serve it with a little, you know, espresso spoon, uh, and it's a fun way to have those flavors, but in a really create, you know, creative vehicle that you know maybe gives you a different kind of experience to that classic cocktail. I was gonna say, and I feel like you would uh, be showing off some bar- home bartending skills um, if you're if you're doing something like that, and, and your guests would be uh, re- really impressed, and, and I think have a, a great uh, Saturday. Uh, you know, we we've talked about this before because I mean, your background is you know cocktails. I mean, Dante is world famous. You know, has won awards. What's it like? I'm guessing this is the fun part. I mean, obviously, you, you love talking about drinks and, and things like that, but it's got to be fun to get back into the recipe book and uh, uh, see what you can come up with. Yeah, it's um, I have it's funny you say recipe book, too. So like as bartenders, you you live and die with your they're called moleskins, the little paperback notebooks, a uh, little, little bit of like leather bound on the outside, so a little bit more durable. But you live by those for the first couple of years that you're behind a bar because you're writing down all these recipes, you're creating um, and I still have all of my original moleskins. And so there has been a, there's been a couple times recently um, where I've actually gone back into those and dug out old recipes. And, you know, some you look at and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, how on earth did I create that? <laughs> um, and other ones you're like, man, that was like, I just kind of stumbled onto that one. Like, that's a great one and I can use it today. And so it's, it's always fun to um, kind of, you know, peel back and look. But, you know, I have to be... Um, 
completely honest. And the reality is my wife is also in this industry um, and she runs cocktail programs in the city. She is by far the more creative <laughs> individual in this marriage uh, when it comes to creating cocktails. She has things that, I mean, I just can't even, uh, I can't, I don't even understand how her brain works that way. So I would be lying if uh, I didn't give her a little credit for some of the creations that Woodford has, <laughs> has uh, put in place <laughs> over the last few years that have come from her, uh, you know, telling me what to do <laughs> and me listening. Hey, well, hey, that's half the, <laughs> that's half of it. You got to listen. Because, uh, yeah. you know, uh, good ideas can just be missed if if you're not paying attention. Uh, and, and then, you know, I've talked to others others in the industry about, you know, making recipes, but it does take a little bit of time to come up with something that actually tastes tastes good and is workable. Because, um, I mean, talk a little bit about that, because it's not like you can just go, hey, now sometimes you can because you've done this long enough. Uh, but you, you're still, if you're doing things with, um, you know, real ingredients, fresh ingredients, and you've got to source those, it does take a little bit of time to come up with things. Yeah. I, so I think um, one thing I, I try to tell everybody when, when I talk about this kind of stuff is, um, you know, there are ratios and there are recipes that work really, really well. And if you can stick to those ratios and those recipes, then you can start to branch out once you've got an understanding of those so that when you start getting into different flavors and different like, you know, things that are in season, different fruits and herbs and vegetables and that kind of stuff. Um, so for me, like, um, and the julep recipe really kind of follows the old fashioned recipe if you really break it down uh, with the exception of the bitters, right? So it's two ounces of a spirit, half an ounce of a sweetener or some kind of sugar, uh, water, and bitters and that's an old-fashioned right and then a julep is really the same thing the water's coming from the crushed ice you just don't have the bitters and then you have something called like a sour build so like a classic daiquiri if you've heard of a gold rush or like a bee's knees um a margarita is the same kind of it's two ounces of a spirit three quarter ounces of a citrus so like lemon or lime obviously um and then a sweetener whether that's agave or honey syrup or simple syrup um, but literally if you take a, like a margarita build, it's two ounces of, uh, tequila, three quarter lime, three quarter agave. That's a Tommy's margarita recipe. That's a classic recipe that a lot of craft cocktail bars use. If you take the tequila out and put gin, if you take the lime out and put lemon, you take the agave out and put honey, you now have a bee's knees. If you take the gin out and put the bourbon in, you now have a gold rush. You know what I mean? So like there are little, little ways along that, like that, like once you get that foundation, then you can really take it, you know, wherever, wherever you want from there. So th those are the kinds of things that kind of point people towards when it comes to like creating and ideating on cocktails. Uh, those ratios have stood the test of time because the balance is, is built into them. They're kind of foolproof at that point. I was gonna say, who knew that we would have to be using so much math uh, when it comes to making cocktails, see, we should have paid attention in school. Uh, There's a lot of those, uh, a lot of those fractions uh, scratched out on those moleskins too. Of like, God, it's half an ounce, not three quarter ounce. So like, when you're in the weeds on a Friday night and you're pouring into a jigger and you're trying to remember if you did half an ounce or what, you know, and then looking in the shaking tin and trying to measure how high it should, yeah, you know, all that stuff for sure. Lots of that. <laughs> and, and and then obviously before I, I, I let you go, what's it like coming up? Uh, you know, because you, you've done this now for a few years, uh, coming up with some fun recipes for Woodford in the Derby. Uh, what's it like to be part of that that you know is going to be enjoyed by thousands and thousands of people, sometimes hundreds and hundreds uh, at, at uh, Churchill when, you know, it's normal year uh, in its full capacity. But what's that like? It, it's um, it's an unexpected privilege. It really is. You know, like when I 
you know, I started in corporate America right out of college in 05. And like, I did that for almost a decade before I got into bartending. And I remember when I left to be a bar back to start over in this career, I had no idea. Right. And living in Indianapolis. So like the idea of being the New York brand ambassador for Woodford Reserve was never a thought. Right. And then the idea of being able to help create drinks that the Churchill Downs uh, team are going to promote on behalf of the Derby. Um, it's, it's an absolute, it, I, I still don't really believe it. You know what I mean? Like it's such a, it's such a cool thing to be a part of. Um, so it really, really is an honor um, to do it. And then I also love, you know, I've got a bunch of, of nieces back in Indianapolis. And when like, when I get to tell them all these things, they're also like, well, but when are you going to be home to play with us? You know what I mean? Like it's, there's such a humbling <laughs> piece to that too. Right. I'm just like, it's such, it's such a cool thing um, to be a part of it. But I also, I also love that I can stay grounded in it as well. Oh, well, well, Michael, you, you you always bring some some great recipes. I always enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, always a blast. And and thank you again for helping uh, us throw some some uh, derby uh, parties and fun at home. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for having me. You know, it's it's always a good time to come on and, and catch up with you. And uh, yeah, anything you need, anytime, just just reach out. I'm more than happy to help as much as I can. Absolutely. I always love talking to Michael. He comes up with such unique, creative recipes, and he's a smart man if he's listening to his wife uh, because uh, clearly uh, they both know what they're doing behind the bar. Um, if you can, I, I recommend trying these. Uh, some of them are a little more simple than others, but I think any of us uh, might be able to pull that off with a little bit of effort and a little bit of trying. Really appreciate Susan and Peggy coming on to talk about their book, Which Fork Do I Use With My Bourbon? Uh, my goodness, is there plenty of information, whether you're a novice or a geek. Uh, you can throw a derby, great derby party or even just a great tasting and, and pairing event. Like they, like I said, they have everything in that book. It is amazing. You definitely need to check that out. Don't forget to check us out on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even now TikTok. Uh, you never know what you'll find there. And don't forget to check out our partners in crime, One Sip Beer Review there on Instagram at One Sip Beer Review. Until next time, cheers, everyone.